This is Jeffrey Frazier, and this is Black Ball Street Chronicles. We're back at it again. This new episode, we're going to be talking about vaccines and how there's evidence that there are vaccines that are affecting young black boys in the African-American community. Before we get started, we need to talk about this DJ Kid situation. Apparently, there's this white DJ by the name of DJ Kid that's going around and he's being accused of giving over 600 black women um, HIV, which is very despicable and very disgusting that you are a person who's going around and infecting uh, black women. You see, you have these white men and we have these white women that um, they have no interest to having a uh, true, fruitful uh, relationship with a person of color. Sometimes they have sex, they fetishize us and they have sex with us and they do dirty things and it's not good. Uh, I think that this man needs to go to jail. He should be put under the jail. And it's funny and in the state of California, they trying to make it seem like uh, um, giving a person HIV is uh, not a felony, which I really have a problem with that. So on that note, being that we're talking about virus and being infected, um, if you look at the history of the medical field, uh, the medical field has not been nice to the African-American community. We had the Tuskegee experiments when they injected black men with syphilis. We have Henrietta Lacks when uh, the scientist right now, as we speak, has control of a black woman's cancer cells. And they have still not compensated the family. Uh, And now uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. is going around to the African-American communities basically telling us that uh, he has whistleblowers with the CDC that basically states that Um, the MMR vaccine uh, that was given to young black boys, infants, there's a 206% chance that they can contract um, autism. And the CDC, the head of the CDC has been, the government instructed the head of the CDC to basically cover it up. See, and uh, we can start here. In 1986, uh, the American government passed the Vaccine Injury Bill. The Vaccine Injury Act of 1986, basically what it does, it protects pharmaceutical companies from being sued for um, uh, people being injured by vaccines. And the reason why the American government did this because they was at, you know, the uh, pharmaceutical companies threatened them. is like, listen, if you don't figure out a way to prevent these individuals from suing us, there's going to be a pandemic and there's going to be a pandemic. There's going to be a virus that's going to kill a whole bunch of people and you don't have any protection against it. So basically, the pharmaceutical companies got the United States of America by the balls and they can't really do anything. 
Um, when we get back, and within a couple of minutes, I'll basically tell you, read articles that talks about this situation even more. Thank you very much. And see, uh, see you in a couple of minutes.
Yeah, this is Jeffrey Frazier, Black Wall Street Chronicles. We back at it again. Yeah, so early I was basically talking about um, how in 1986 you had the vaccine injury bill. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you more information on a vaccine injury bill. And the reason why we're talking about that is because there you have Robert Kennedy Jr. basically going around and saying that young black boys are being victims of vaccines. So let's go internet and look at the information on what uh, the vaccine inj injury bill entails. There's an article right here. The National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. This is on Wiki, Wikipedia. The National Child Vaccine Injury Act, the NCVIA of 1986, was signed into law by the United States President Ronald Reagan as a part of a larger health bill on November 14th, 1986. The NCVIA's the NCVIA's purpose was to eliminate the potential of financial liability of vaccine manufacturers due to vaccine injury claims in order to ensure a stable market supply of vaccines and to provide cost-effective arbitration for vaccine injury claims. Under the NCVIA, the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, was created to provide a federal no-fault system for compensating vaccine religion related injuries or death by establishing a client, uh, claim procedure involving the United States Court of Federal Claims and Special Masters. In the 1970s and 1980s, a controversy erupted related to the question of whether the wholesale pertussis component caused permanent brain injury known as pertussis vaccine enteropathy. In, uh, I can't even pronounce this word. It's E-N-C-P-H-A-L-O-P-A-T-H-Y. See if I get the pronunciation. It's encephalopathy. Okay. Uh, that was a terrible pronunciation in rare cases. No studies show a casual connection, and later studies show no connection of any type between the DPT vaccine and the permanent brain injury. The alleged vaccine-induced brain damage proved to be an unrelated condition, infantile epilepsy. In 1990, the Journal of American Medical Association called the connection a myth and nonsense. However, before the point, criticism of the study showed no connections, a few well-publicized incidental reports of permanent disability that were blamed on the DPT vaccine gave rise to 1970s anti-DPT movements. In the United States, low profit margins and an increase in vaccine-related lawsuits led to many manufacturers to stop producing the DPT vaccine by the early 1980s. 
1985 vaccine manufacturers had the difficulty obtaining the liability insurance. The price of DBT vaccine skyrocketed, leading to providers to curtail purchases, limiting availability. Only one company was still manufacturing the Pertuchus vaccine in the U.S. by the end of 1985. Because of this, Congress passed the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, NCVIA, in 1986, establishing a federal no-fault system to compensate victims of injury caused by mandated vaccines. So, if you're a victim of vaccine injury because of this act, that means you can be, you receive a no-fault compensation. That's interesting. National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act's bill sponsor. Mm. Now, here's the NCVIA provisions. The Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. The NCVIA also mandates that all healthcare providers must report certain adverse events following vaccination to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. The NCVIA also established a committee from the Institute of Medicine to review the existing literature on vaccine adverse events occurring after immunization, regardless of whether there was a direct link between events. The National Vaccine Program Office. As a result of the NCVIA, the National Vaccine Program Office, was established within the DHHS. The NVPO is responsible for coordinating immunization-related activities between all DHHS agencies, including the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, interesting, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, and the National Institute of Health, NIH, and the Health Resources and Services Administration. The vaccine information statements. The NCVIA requires that all healthcare providers who administer vaccine against Defrohelia, tinnitus, pertulis, polio, measles, mumps, rubella, hepatitis B, homolophallus, influenza, type B, and varicella must provide a vaccine information statement to the vaccine recipient, their parent or legal guardian prior to each dose. A VI S must be given with every vaccination, including each dose in a multi-dose series. Each VIS contains a brief description of the disease as well as the risks and the benefits of the vaccine. Each VIS is developed by the CDC and distributed to state and local health departments as well as individual providers. Okay. If you go to wikipedia.com, they have references for you to look up Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm basically going to give my opinion on an article and what my experience is in receiving vaccines.
Yes, this is Jeffrey Frazier, and this is Black Wall Street Chronicles. We are back at it again. Today we're talking about vaccines, and are they harmful to the African-American community? Excuse me, technical difficulties. Okay, so earlier I was talking about the Vaccine Injury Act of 1986, and how every time that you get a vaccine, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to get some sort of documentation uh, called the VIC that basically lets you know a record of the type of vaccine that you're getting. My thing is this, when you go to a healthcare center, um, when you're going into a new clinic, what they new clinic is gonna do is they're gonna draw your blood and see if they have antibodies in your blood. If your clinic doesn't go and draw your blood and see what antibodies that you need, check your blood before giving you the vaccine, that means that they're suspect, you know. I don't trust people that open, I don't trust people that openly gives me a vaccine, that openly presents me with a a vaccine without even checking my blood. I hate going to pharmaceutical. Hate going to pharmaceutical companies. I hate going to Walgreens. It's like, oh, you need a vaccine. I'm like, I need a vaccine for a flu shot. I'm like, dude, I am 35 years old. Why are you asking me? I'm not a baby, and I'm not an old person. Why you want to shoot me up with a flu shot? Like, that's real suspect, man. I don't know what's going on. So anyway. What we're going to do is I'm going to read a New York Times article, and it talks about a little debate within the Kennedy clan because it says here that while Robert Kennedy Jr. has been championed for vaccines, there are members of the Kennedy clan that believe that uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. is completely wrong. So there's a little debate within the Kennedy clan. I'm gonna read this article in Time Magazine. The smackdown in the Kennedy clan summons up the history of presidents and vaccines. This is interesting. It's by Jeffrey Kluger and it's been written recently, May 15, 2019. Family quarrels are usually private things, unless of course the family is famous. A public spat among bold-faced names broke out on May 8th when three members of the Kennedy clan published a piece of political declaring that Robert F. Kennedy Jr., son of Bobby Kennedy, has been tragically wrong in his years-long crusade against vaccines. A crusade that seems especially responsible now as the country suffers through its worst measles outbreak since 1994. That's true, because earlier in the year in Brooklyn, there was a whole bunch of kids that caught measles and the reason why they caught measles because they scared to get their parents this is a Williamsburg Brooklyn is happening uh, all these young millennial parents are afraid to give their young kids vaccines because of all the reports Kennedy has now become the hero of the anti-vax crowd with his persistent claims that vaccines contain deadly ingredients particularly a mercury based preservative known as dermosol that they are linked to autism he is wrong on both sides 
No vaccines except some formalizations of the flu vaccine contain thermosol, and the type of mercury that it uses is ethyl mercury, which is cleared from the body quickly and harmlessly. And vaccines do not cause and not even associated with autism, full stop. But Robert F. Kennedy Jr. presents, and so does his siblings, Kathleen Kennedy Towser and Joseph F. Kennedy II, and his niece, May F. Kennedy McLean, sought to set him right. Kennedy, they wrote, has helped to spread dangerous myth information over social media and is complicit in sowing distrust of science-based vaccines. Kathleen Joan Maeve are hardly the first Kennedys to be smart about vaccines. As they write in their political story, the giant of the family, President John Kennedy signed the Vaccine Assistance Act of 1962 into law, expanding the use of relative handful of childhood vaccinations available at the time. There's no longer any reason why American children should suffer from polio, derithia, whooping cough, a Technus. Kennedy said in a message to Congress, I'm asking the American people and joining a nationwide vaccination program to step out these four diseases. To the presidency of Donald Trump, who from 2012 to 2014 posted a storm of tweets on the imaginary minutes of vaccines and he was elected, publicly flirted with the idea of appointing Robert Kennedy Jr. to head a vaccine safety commission. American presidents have had a long history of champion vaccination. It began with Thomas Jefferson, who in August of 1800, shortly before his presidency began, helped conduct trials of the smallpox vaccine, developed four years earlier by British physician Edward Jenner. With so much involving the founding fathers, and this founding father in particular, Jefferson's otherwise noble work was stained by his ignorable association with slavery. A handful of Jefferson slaves were among the people who administered the vaccine, and they surely did not have the freedom to object. James Madison, who began his presidency in 1809, followed Jefferson's public health lead, signing the Vaccine Act of 1813. The law was designated to prevent the spread of counterfeit vaccines, authorize federal agents to distribute the genuine article, and ensure that it could be mailed around the country postage-free. The next and the easiest, the greatest president vaccine heroes was Franklin Roosevelt, who contracted infantile paralysis on polio in 1921 during the first full year of his presidency. 1934, he launched his actual tradition of presidential birthday balls, which may have been framed as birthday celebrations for FDR, but whose true purpose was to raise funds for a nation national war on polio. The birthday ball committee soon became the National Federation for Infantile Paralysis, a research collective that included both Jonas Stalk and Albert Saban, whose vaccine Stalk used a kill, killed virus said a live weakened one have brought polio to the brink of extinction it wasn't until 1955 that the first of these two vaccines stalks was approved and president dwight d eisenhower put the muscle of the federal government provided providing 30 million almost 285 million in 2019 currency to assist the states in distributing and administering the vaccine eisenhower also understood the urgency parents felt to get their children protected and when early production problems delayed the delivery of the vaccine he issues 
a statement urging patience but promoting promising action every parent of every child should be grateful to those scientists who have been working with rest and without relief to find answers to the problem that caused the delay he said with the combined efforts at all the stalk vaccine will be made available to our children in a manner of keeping of our highest traditions a corroborative national action the tradition continue through subsequent presidencies with Lyndon Johnson in 1965, launching an American-led effort to eradicate smallpox in 18 West African nations. With, Kim, with Jimmy Carter's 1977 National Childhood Immunization Initiative, which sought to push childhood vaccine coverage to 90% and actually exceeded that, achieving the 95% level needed to sustain community-wide herd immunity with Gerald Ford's announcement of a nationwide vaccination program when an epidemic of swine flu, which never materialized, seemed to be approaching. Ronald Reagan's support in 1986 of the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program was one of the most important, later most willfully represented steps in getting Americans inoculated. Recognizing the need for near universal vaccine of tens of millions of children, as well as the impossibility of achieving the goal if pharmaceutical companies were never defending themselves against claims of alleged harm from the drugs, Congress and the President agreed to establish a no-fault federal office of special masters to adjudicate claims and assign awards in the exceedingly rare case that vaccines do arguable harm. Contemporary anti-vaxxers have labeled the office the Vaccine Injury Court and they condemned to the no-fault system as a way to shield pharmaceutical companies from the wages of peddling a deadly product. There is no merit to these arguments. Both of the Bush presidencies also saw vaccine initiatives. The first was 1991, where Bush 41 backed a vaccination plan to lower measles rates. A second was in 2002, when Bush 43 offers free smallpox vaccination to healthcare workers, as fear of bioterrorists swept the nation in the wake of the 9-11 attacks. To demonstrate the safety of the vaccine, Bush was publicly inoculated himself. Between the Bush presidencies, President Bill Clinton signed the Vaccines for Children Act and again to boost vaccine rates. And in 2010, with the passage of the Affordable Health Care Act, President Barack Obama ensured that health insurance plans will be required to cover preventative measure, including vaccines with no co-pays. In the thick of the measles outbreak, Trump has last moved to get square with his predecessors. At the press gaggle in late April, he conceded to reporters, they have to get the shot. Vaccinations are so important. This is going around now. They have to get their shots. It's a small step and a positive one. RFK Jr. could take a bigger step if he heeds his family, learns his science, and walk away from the anti-vax rhetoric for good. Every day misinformation gets peddled as another day that the children suffer. Okay, we're going to take a quick bake and we're going to unwrap that article. I didn't know that there was a deep uh, history of vaccines. And the fact that Thomas Jefferson injected uh, black slaves with the vaccines without able to consent, that's also very problematic. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to you.
Hello, this is Jeffrey Frazier of Black Wall Street Chronicles, and we're back at it again. Um, there's a lot to unwrap this episode. The thing I found problematic is I find out that Thomas Jefferson, the reason why he created the smallpox vaccine, because he injected uh, the, because he did experiments injecting the smallpox vaccines to his to slaves which I find very problematic here's my thing I'm vaccinated I've never been injured by vaccines I don't like the fact that Robert uh, Kennedy Jr. is going around and saying that vaccines are a problem you know you know we members of the African-American community is very sensitive to this because we have a history of not getting the long-ended we've been uh of being a um exploited by the medical industry you know there's rumors about you know uh black men young black men and young black women being victims of kidnapping uh their organs being taken away uh and it's just not really that good so we're gonna end the episode tonight uh next week we're gonna talk about reparations for the african-american community it's gonna give you um i'm just gonna be give you uh it's a good episode and i'm gonna give you my opinion thank you very much